welcome to episode 10 of Race the Bottom. I'm your host, Joe Harmon. Been away for a while. I'm back. Interestingly, I listened to a, a podcast on climate change the other day, and uh, it really tapped into kind of my fears that I have doing this. I don't like to pretend I'm anything more than perhaps just a really intrigued and interested football fan who is trying to kind of uh, merge together other things that I love are in the world and, and are worried about in the world more so. Equality, race, gender issues um, and underpinning it all, football, the game that I love more than anything. So yeah, it being the Women's World Cup this year, just finished, won by the US Women's National Team, USWNT, just rolls off the tongue. I thought it was really important to give them the coverage that they deserve, not necessarily on a sporting level. They are unprecedented champions, uh, four-time World Cup winners, I think two-time Olympian winners. They are the barometer of greatness within the women's game, and I imagine every other women's national team in the world has them in their targets Players like Abby Wambach, uh, Megan Rapino, um, Hope Solo. These are fantastically decorated players. Megan Rapino at the at the centre of this has really drawn social media, the world football fans, government officials, presidents to her stance on issues of gender, issues of equality, but. What I wanted to expand on is that the US women's team have for many years uh, strove for equality on a level that no other team, male or female, has has really had to strive to do, in my knowledge. So I wanted to kind of give an overview of of the history of the United States women's national team and what's brought them to have these battles with the USSF, the United States Soccer Federation, with regards to lawsuits being filed and how that has also provided a platform for people like Megan Rapinoe and Hope Solo to really voice their opinions on matters especially in Rapinoe's uh, situation, that can be considered greater than the football field. So if we, on a timeline level, working backwards, successful year 2019, women's national team win the 2019 Women's World Cup. At the same time, we are presented with this individual, Megan Rapinoe, who first came to the forefront of athlete activism, so to speak, in 2016 where she very bravely took the knee she probably hate the, the term bravely she felt compelled to do it actually from what i've read of kind of twitter feeds but i still think it was really brave a female gay athlete in america taking the knee to lend support and solidarity with colin kaepernick the uh, black quarterback who took the knee during the national anthem in protest against uh, police brutality and racial inequality. She was the only white athlete to do that. 
a tremendous, tremendous inner strength to be able to do that. She has started to undercome some criticism, some negative press for the way that certain facets of of the media deem how she should act in accordance with uh, some sort of unwritten law. I've never read anything on how athletes are supposed to act, but she is tremendously courageous and not afraid. I think that's what it clear to me seeing her speak she is proud of who she is she's proud of being an american and she believes that america is at its best when it's all inclusive and it's not not in any way i'm not saying england is being being english and british but it's very clear that america is very divided along certain lines and she was brave enough to come out and state that she would not attend the white house if she and her teammates were to win the World Cup. That drew ire from Donald Trump, the United States of America president. Um, and so a back and forth ensued with Megan Rapino really sticking to her guns and, and just being very clear on the reasons why. This isn't a one-off for, for either her individually or collectively the US women's national team. Prior to this, March the 8th of 2019, International Women's Day. All 28 members of the women's team filed a civil action lawsuit against the United States Soccer Federation under the Equal Pay Act of 1967 and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which fundamentally uh, they believe that there is institutionalised gender discrimination at the heart of the pay discrepancies between the men's national team and the women's national team. This is something that has been going on for approximately 10 to 15 years now. There have been several comings together between the women's team and the USSF to try to uh, engender a, a happy medium where the women's team are paid equally um, for what they bring to the table, both on a uh, monetary level and on a sporting level. And I don't think anyone can really disagree that they usurp the men's national team on both those um, states at the moment. So that's the stance that they took in 2019. Prior to that, March 31st, 2016, um, the women's national team filed a what's called an EEOC, an Equal Employment Opportunity Commission complaint over inequality in pay and treatment. Um, again, this was levied at the USSF and it alleged that the US men's national team received better accommodation, better treatment than the women's equivalent and players central to that complaint was Hope Solo, who I'll talk about later, uh, Megan Rapino, uh, Alex Morgan and Becky Sauerbrunn were, were what seems to have been classified as a kind of leadership group who headed these discussions and, uh, and tried to broker a collective bargaining agreement uh, from the USSF um, unsuccessfully it seems. Um, there has been threats of of strikes, but it's something that the women's team haven't haven't gone through with. Uh, I'm not saying that's positive or negative either way, but it's that's how far they have been pushed. 
2015, they win their third World Cup in Canada on artificial grass. Important to mention that because prior to that, 2014, um, led by uh, the women's national team, but including several players from other international teams, um, a lawsuit was filed against the Canadian Soccer Association and FIFA to remove artificial turf and have uh, natural grass installed for the 2015 Women's World Cup. That was not actioned. However, as a result of that, it has played a massive role in future tournaments. I believe in the next no considerations from any federations that intend to use artificial grass will be granted. So only federations who will ensure that natural grass pitches will be the field of play for the Women's World Cup um, will be considered. That was only achieved through through the American players and, and a collective of international players, but again spearheaded by the women's uh, the U.S. women's national team, which I just think is fantastic. Um, you know, I, I always naturally will will look for parallels in in the men's game, and uh, and I don't see any um, nothing no, nothing of of any equal ilk. If you are aware of of anything, then please let me know. Um, so, for working back from that, nineteen ninety nine, they won their their second World Cup. Uh, with Brandy Chastain scoring uh, the winning penalty, uh, with a very iconic image where she uh, she removed her, her her jersey and and celebrated with her sports bra, wearing her sports bra, um, kind of arms clenched, uh, which which featured on Sports Illustrated magazine. She scored the winning penalty in a five four win against China, um, and prior to that, uh, they they win the nineteen ninety six Women's uh, Olympic gold medal in Atlanta. It was the first time women's football had uh, had been recognised as an Olympic sport. Going back from that, 1991 is when what we now classify as the Women's World Cup, the first Women's World Cup. However, at the time, and it gives you an idea of, of how far women's football has come, um, it was actually named the FIFA World Championship for Women's Football for the M&M's Cup, M&M, the chocolate, um, because they were the sponsors of it. I guess there was reluctance to um, to fully get behind the tournament and so um, kind of framed it in, in that of uh, the Advertisers' Cup. Um, retroactively named the World Cup, and appropriately so, which uh, the US women's team first won. Um, two important dates are 1979, where Title IX of the Civil Rights Act passed uh, as part of the Education Amendment Act, was introduced by uh, two people, Patsy Mink and Senator Birch Bay. Patsy Mink, female congresswoman. Essentially, Title IX was that no grant-based sporting or educational setup could discriminate between genders. So it had to be it had to be equal towards men and women. Uh, and the Equal Pay Act of 1963. Um, which was signed off by JFK, was initially uh, pioneered by a woman called Winifred Stanley in 1944, um, who again uh, brought to the table a, a prohibition of uh, discrimination in pay on account of gender. Those facets of acts have provided the, the 
space for for these women to be able to challenge and that's perhaps in itself not enough what you need is very strong-minded individuals um, and and high uh, participation levels women's soccer in in colleges in america uh, 2018 figures are you know approximately 390,500 females are playing soccer in high school so it's a tremendously popular sport it needs to be backed appropriately i think it's behind volleyball track and field and basketball um, which have been long-term ingrained sports within american society what i want us to do is take a quick break that's a lot of information to digest and then i would like to give time to two individuals that i think have been central to the u.s women's national team's fight at the moment And we're back discussing uh, the U.S. women's national team and their challenge on on pay discrimination. Um, One of the individuals that featured very heavily through uh, the successful period that is uh, still continuing um, is the goalkeeper, the former national goalkeeper, Hope Solo. Anyone who's followed the World Cup will know Hope Solo. She's appeared on BBC as an interviewee spoken very very informed and intelligently about the the women's national game and why shouldn't she she is an incredibly decorated player um wikipedia her she's two-time golden glove winner um she's a bronze ball winner she has won a a slew of individual and uh, team-based medals but hope solo was also kind of the spearhead of the initial challenges with regards to pay discrimination and challenging that um, she led the EEOC complaint in 2016. But during that time, there's question marks in the, over whether Hope Solo's face truly fitted with what the USSF wanted from their women's national team. She speaks very openly about it in a Guardian interview, which I will tag on to the show notes. But she wasn't your classic sports athlete i think she talks about her father spending time in prison and she herself has had issues with arrests for although it was later dropped arrests for uh, assault regarding family members and and things like duis where she was implicated in her husband's um case where uh, he's an american football player and i think he was stopped and uh, and breathalyzed was found to be drunk under the influence and there are speculation that so was hope solo being in the car as well that's all kind of just background noise really because one of the things that happened is after her leading the complaint in 2016 her contract was terminated due to comments made in the aftermath of a defeat to sweden regarding sweden's ultra negative approach in the game it was during the olympics and what's very clear in in the guardian interview solo talks very openly about speaking to jill ellis the women's national team coach and also the captain of the Swedish national team. It was immediately after the match, it was taken in that context that sometimes athletes, when they're drastically under pressure, post-game and you shove a microphone in their face, they might give you the harsh truth that they're feeling internally, and maybe 10 minutes later, you would get a more uh, considered answer for them. It seems that, that Hope Solo paid the price for that, 
she feels greatly that that was a what would you say a red herring for what she feels and what seems to be she was making too much noise she has a very aggressive stance and she's very i think i'd use the word cynical in regards to any bargaining and sit downs with the ussf she has been to a lot of them um, she has been part of that leadership group where she has tried to sit and strike an appropriate deal that is suitable to the women's team and has come up short due to breakdown with the USSF each time. And as a result of it, she never played for the women's national team again, which is a tremendous sadness, really. Um, she is a tremendously talented athlete. She is still playing professionally at the moment. And yet, as a result of one comment where it was deemed inappropriate and not in keeping with the American kind of sporting way, when we have Sam Kerr at the World Cup this year, you know, very openly when Australia beat Brazil, you know, she gave it to Brazil kind of both barrels, really. And and she was kind of lauded uh, with regards to that. Whereas Hope Solo, three years earlier, um, showing perhaps a tone which when we see it in male footballers we, we think nothing of it but are there preconceptions and misconceptions on how we like our women footballers to be do we like them to be kind of demure subservient um i don't believe that that should be the case at all you know people should be how they want to be and if hope solo comes out at the end of a, a match and says you know there was nothing untoward she just criticized the incredibly defensive nature of Sweden um, then she should be allowed to say that and she shouldn't be punished for it the only thing that sticks out is that maybe it was the opportunity that the USSF wanted or jumped upon to to get her out of the door to slow this this constant kind of wave of equal pay equal pay equal pay um, Perhaps what has happened is that the baton has just been passed. Maybe the nature of having a very strong leadership group means that even when one, for any reason, would retire or, you know, there'd be multiple reasons that Hope Solo perhaps couldn't play for the national team anymore. With the baton being passed, you still get a continuation of the underpinning values that the women's national team has. And it seems to have passed to Megan Rapino, who has grabbed it with both hands. She has been very open about post-tournament that at the top of her agenda is is equal pay. She's spoken very, very positively and openly and aggressively that she will not stop until equal pay has been achieved within uh, her sporting field. And that is massively commendable. Um, she is an amazing person to explore and read about. What happened is that she took the knee first on the 5th of September playing for Rain FC against Chicago Red Stars. There's actually pictures on, on Twitter of, of people kind of snapping her doing it. She did that out of solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. She did it again in, in September 2016 against Thailand. And for her to do that in a national shirt during... Uh, the the national anthem is an incredibly activist stance to take and 
the USSF, I think it's uh, fair to say that they adopted kind of a governmental mouthpiece uh, approach to players who were maybe thinking about following uh, Copernic and Rapino's lead. At the same time, the NFL was being openly criticised by Donald Trump, by high officials in the US government, by owners. NFL players were protesting in, in many different ways. Many were, were also taking the knee as well. And the USSF adopted this approach where uh, the rule that all players must stand and honour the flag. So rather than allow uh, Rapino to silently and peacefully protest what she feels is inequality within her nation, they force that, that legislation, that rule upon the squad. So rather than kowtow to it, uh, Rapino has refused to sing the national anthem since. She has not sung the national anthem once. The worrying thing, the fallout from it is... Again, and talking about how do we expect our athletes to behave in the eyes of certain facets of the media. Uh, I came across a really interesting article. In fact, the BBC first caught my attention. Uh, the BBC ran with an article, Why is America's newest hero so polarising? I don't know. Why is America's newest hero so polarising, BBC? Um, and, and Kyle Smith of the New York Post.com. Um, what no athlete should do is turn victory into victimhood to go from champion athlete to champion complainer. The headline read, Megan Rapino wrongly thinks she's a preacher, not a player. She can be whatever she wants. She's a human being. She's fought hard to get where she is. Freedom of speech is a massive thing around the world. And... Rapino is uh, exercising her rights as a human being to to use her platform and, and I think the world of sport would be far greater for it if more athletes took Rapino's approach and and just took a risk. I'm sure there's many athletes out there who feel there are wrongs being done in the world and took a risk and see what happens. See what happens when, when they use their platform to raise awareness because that's what she's doing. She's not inciting violence. She's not inciting hatred. She's raising awareness to say, I believe this is wrong. We need to be more open about it. We need to be inclusive. That's all she talked about. She talked about love, inclusion, less hate, more love. So, you know, people like Carl Smith, I'm not too sure what, what angle he has on it. Um, it has been tinged her uh, the coverage of her footage of her of her signing a ball kind of was framed in why she been so ignorant and uh, and interestingly there was a juxtaposition of Jurgen Klopp super amiable super funny Jurgen Klopp massive fan of Jurgen Klopp myself uh, even though I am a Spurs fan there was an interesting piece of footage uh, where he was boarding the bus I don't know when it was from this season. And uh, just openly blanked all the fans who were asking for his autograph. Wasn't in a good mood, got on the bus, didn't want to speak to anyone. That's okay in the eyes of the media because um, he's a man, men play football. We're okay with men kind of doing things like this. But our athletes, perhaps in the, in the female sector, or in the female world of football, 
what do we want them to be? Are they not allowed to be pissed off? Are they not allowed to be vocal about issues that they have? I think the most exciting thing about women's football at the moment is that they have as close to a, a blank landscape as, as any sport has had. They can frame it however they want to. And how they frame it is going to be and should be influenced by people like uh, Megan Rapino. So share your thoughts with me. Um, hopefully this hasn't been too rambly. I've enjoyed uh, recording again. So uh, if you do have a listen, it is longer. But um, I wanted to put something a little bit longer out there. Thanks for listening. And you can reach me at... Uh, at RTTB podcast on Twitter, which is the main thing that I use. I also have a Facebook account. Please contact me on there if you wish uh, at Race to the Bottom. Also, uh, at Janola's Left Foot is my Twitter handle. And, uh, and please check out the website, racethebottom.net. Thanks for listening. Speak again soon.